Well, good morning. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us. Hey, word on the Family Fall Festival. So we're going to go forward with that. Um, it will be this afternoon at the same time indoors, um, 6 to 7.30. So 6 to 7. So plan on being here. We're not going to change that because of uh, weather. We're just going to move it inside. If you walked in the west door, you may not have noticed I've got a little bit of a black eye here, and so you're wondering what happened there. Don't mess with my wife, okay? I mean, we're just playing around, we're just having fun, and we're just shadow boxing, and it wasn't even, it was the jab, it wasn't even the cross, and here I am with my black eye, so that's not true. Most of you know I had, uh, she's over here saying it's not true. We're thinking about putting her on our security team with that, that jab, but most of you know I had cataract surgery um, Wednesday, and then I'll do the other eye in two weeks. So this is a, um, a remnant of, of that. But boy, when they took that patch off, I was just shocked. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but like when we did that children's dedication, I usually read scriptures from here. I could read them from there. So it's, I'm encouraged by the, the uh, change in, in vision. So the, about a week, 10 days ago, I was reading... Um, the 1920, 1990 World Book on Poverty. And, and they just wanted the readers to get a feel for what it's like to live in poverty. And so they quoted a bunch of people from around the world. And i just like to share four of those quotes from different people on what it's like to live in poverty. So this is from somebody from the country of Guinea-Bissau, says, when I don't have any food to bring my family, I borrow mainly from neighbors and friends. Catch this. I feel ashamed standing before my children when I have nothing to help feed the family. I'm not well when I'm employed. It's terrible. That's one. Second voice. This is from Uganda. When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food. So there's famine in her house, no clothing, and no progress in her family. Third one is from Cameroon. The poor have a feeling of powerlessness and inability to make themselves heard. Last one, last quote. From Moldova, a poor person, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We're like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. So being poor, there's absolutely a physical deprivation, no food, no clothes, lack of. But there's a shame. There's a humiliation. We're, we're garbage. We're, we're not needed. We're shunned. We're powerless. We have no voice. Given those words and given the character of God, it's not surprising then that God's heart beats for the poor. In fact, when he set up the nation of Israel, and I'll spell this out in a little bit, he, he set it up with, you take care of the poor because they matter to me. Today, we are going back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we remember, those who have been with us, that the very first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, they have nothing before God because theirs is the kingdom of God. Uh, not poor don't have exclusivity on this, but, but they're more prone to be, to be broken. And God says to his people, I want you to care for the poor. 
So with that in mind, I'd like us to wrestle today with why should we give to the poor? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open that to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to go through verses 1 through 4, wrestling with this question, why should we give to the poor? As I mentioned, we are getting back into the Sermon on the Mount. We started that a while back. We took a break for three weeks just to go over our elements of the church, and we're back in it. So let me review. Uh, Jesus was on a hillside, sitting down, talking with people, and he said, this is my kingdom. This is my rule this is my authority. This is what it looks like. These are the characteristics of people who are approved. And, and he said, uh, uh, people who are approved in God's kingdom are, are poor in spirit. They're, they're merciful. They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. But Jesus said, starting in verses 9 through 12, by the way, if you live out those values, you're going to be out of step with the world. You have different values, different priorities, and you'll be persecuted for living out my priorities. So the question is, why, well, if we're going to be persecuted, why not just pull us out? Well, Jesus said, you individually and collectively, church, you have a purpose. You are the salt of the earth. Salt was a preservative. You rubbed it in meat to slow decay. Church, you are to slow decay. You're to be in contact with the world. And I said, if you lose your saltiness, you lose those attributes we talked about, you you're, 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 don't have value. And acting as a preserver. And then he said, you also, you're the light of the world. Now, in the Bible, darkness is for everything evil, terrifying. Well, you turn on the light, darkness goes. Church, you're the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You follow me, you're the light of the world. Jesus, you're speaking with an awful lot of authority here. So Jesus takes on the question, verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5. Are you doing away with the Old Testament? We've, we've taken that as our scriptures. Jesus said, I'm absolutely not. In fact, the whole Old Testament points to me. I'm the fulfillment of that. And he said, you know, you people want to be righteous. You've got these Pharisees who've taken the Old Testament. And they've added their own precepts to it. I, I want your righteousness to surpass theirs. So, so there's a value in obedience. And, and what I'm calling is rooted in the Old Testament. But I'm taking the Old Testament and I'm deepening it. And I'm broadening it. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, he gave six corrections. You take the sixth commandment, he said, you shall not murder. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to extend that. If you get angry with your brother, you're guilty of murder. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Well, great, I've never been with someone other than my spouse. I'm, no, no, you, you, you long for somebody in your heart, you're, you're guilty of adultery. Uh, he took on divorce. And that day, it was kind of the man didn't want the woman. Here's a certificate of divorce, and she's on her own. She said, that's got to change. I value marriage. Yeah, I allow for divorce. I value marriage. And then these religious leaders who had an outward appearance of righteous but inside were wicked, they, they started playing games with their word. They, they said, if, if we swear by this, I don't really have to keep my word, but if I swear by the altar, I, I kind of do. And if I swear by the gold on the altar, and Jesus says, cut the nonsense. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you're going to do it, say it. If you're not, don't. And then he talked about uh, the right to equal retribution. You know, he said, it, it is said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, I'm changing all that. If you're in my kingdom, you give up the right to equal retribution. Somebody slaps you in the cheek, you turn the other cheek. And then lastly, he said, you know, it's been said that you know, love your neighbors and, and hate your enemies. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so Jesus had taken the values of his day and, and taking the Old Testament and broadening it and, and turn those values upside down. And the last thing he said is, uh, you're, you need to be 
perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. It's like, whoa, I can't reach that standard. Right, and that brought us back to the poor in spirit. You desperately need God. Now then, you know, this call to be that your behavior matters, your obedience matters, could lead to a, let me impress you with how, how righteous I am, and, and mine is better than yours, and yours is better than mine, so I, I'm feeling the pressure. And, and Jesus said, you start living to impress other people, you've missed the mark. God is calling you and me who are his kingdom to live for him. Here's what he says, chapter 6, uh, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your, with your Father who is in heaven. Now, the discussion of eternal rewards is beyond uh, this sermon, but Jesus says he will value, he will reward the way we live. But if we're living to impress other people, well, you have your reward. Aren't you impressed with my righteousness, with my this and that? So Jesus says, be careful. You can't mix impressing others and pleasing God. Um, that becomes clear in a couple of verses. John 5, verse 44, Jesus said, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Who are you living for? Are you living for one another or are you living for God? One more verse to that end, John 12, verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. All right, they believe he is who he says he is, but because of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were not confessing him. Why? For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved, catch this, the approval of men rather than the approval of God. You and I can't have it both ways. We'll live for the approval of God or we'll live for the approval of people. Outside of the scriptures, may I ask you to consider living for the approval of God because the, of the approval of people is fickle. <laughs> it comes and it goes. You get something and you put it on Facebook or you put it on social media and you this and this and, or your kid or your grandkid or, your, or you get a new car, you get a new house, you get a new that. And, and man, it goes. It, you don't want to live on that track. There's a freedom that comes in living for God. But let it be known. Jesus says we can't do both. It's like somebody, I don't know much about track, but you can't train for the 100 meters and you can't train for the mile. You're gonna, you're gonna, they're going to conflict with one another. Choose one or the other. Live for the approval of God. You can't live, live for the approval of people. So having laid out that concept, now Jesus is going to apply it in three areas. Verses 2 through 4 in our giving to the poor. We'll talk about giving to the poor, and then we'll back that up to talk about giving in general. So we're going to do that this Sunday. Verses 5 through 15 is in the area of prayer. Don't be praying publicly to impress other people. We'll talk about that next week. And then two weeks from now, it's in the area of fasting, verses 16 through 18. Don't be fasting to impress others. So verse 2 then says this, when you give to the poor. I want to stop right there. So when you give to the poor, I want to stop there. Jesus assumes his people in his kingdom with his values will be caring for the poor. Now let me just back that up quickly from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 15 verse 11. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you saying you shall freely 
Open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Isaiah 3, 14 and 15, this is a text of judgment. The Lord enters into the judgment with the elders and princes of his people. Why? It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord of hosts. God eventually judged Israel, and one of the reasons was they didn't care for the poor. Last verse, Proverbs 19, verse 17. The one who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his good deed. So when God set up the nation of Israel, he said, hey, you farmers, when you go for harvest, we're in harvest season right now. When you go to harvest, you don't, you don't harvest to the edge of your land. You leave a buffer. Do you know why you're leaving that buffer? So poor folks who have nothing to eat can come and glean from your field. Deuteronomy 15 to 1 to 2, so to creditors. That's what God said. Every seven years, you release people from their debt. Remember when we read about the, the burden of poverty, of being under that? God understands that, and his heart beats for those people. He was about the vulnerable. He was about the broken. So with that background, let me go back to chapter 6, verse 2. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Do not sound the trumpets. That's a metaphor to say, hey, 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 look at me. Because you do that, Jesus says, you're a hypocrite. You're not giving. You appear to be giving because you care. You, you hurt for that person. But the reality is you don't really care about the poor person. You care about you. Hey, hey, did you see me? Generosity, giving to the... Your giving's about you. God's going after the heart here. Why are you giving? And let me back that up from the poor to giving to the work of moving God's forward in general. Why are you giving? Jesus is saying, I expect that you're giving because you're so caught up in my values. You're so caught up in me and you've taken on my heart and my care that your heart breaks for the poor. Your heart wants to see the kingdom of God grown. You want to see other people included in it. Why? Because your experience of Jesus. You understand the freedom. You understand what has come about being in the kingdom of God, and you would want that for others. Remember, we've talked about hypocrite before. It's a Greek word that was used for actors. Actors play a part. I'm this on stage, but that's not really me. That's hypocrisy, isn't it? I present one thing, but it's not really me. Jesus says, be careful about hypocrisy in your giving. Verses 3 and 4, Matthew 6. But when you give to the poor, he assumes you'll be doing it, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Again, figure of speech. For the sake of example, you're going back out the south door here and you see the giving box and you're going to drop a check in there with your right hand. This is to be so unnoticed, so secret, that your left hand doesn't know what it's going on. Again, it's a figure of speech. 
to say, I want this done in secrecy. So I'm the only one that sees. And Jesus is coming after motivation. Why are you doing what you're doing? Has God touched your heart? Have you taken on those values? See, we're asking this question. Why should we give to the poor? There it is. To please God, not impress others. We give to the poor to please God, not impress others. So we're coming after two issues here. First is motivation. Why do we do what we do? And if ever there's been a culture that is about impressing others, this is it. The explosion of social media, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's this, maybe that. I mean, something happens, man, you put it out there, right? It's on Facebook, it's on Instagram, it's on Snapchat, I don't know where it is. You get a new this, you get a new that, you got to... And, and, and how, how many likes did your video get? How many likes did your picture? I, you just... But we get on that trap, my friends, it'll suck you in. How many, how come I, I didn't get so many likes? And how many, how come? And did they like their video? And, and is there... Is their kid doing better than my kid or, or is their grandkid doing better than my grandkid? And all of a sudden, and Jesus is saying, hey, I, I got something else for you. But you can't have it both ways. Are you going to live to impress people? Or are you going to live to please God? He's going after our motivation. And the second question he's asking is, what is our heart for the poor? We heard those quotes. They understand what it is to be treated like garbage. They understand what it is to be marginalized. Get out of the way because you smell. You, you. That's not how God sees them. Are we seeing the poor the way God is seeing the poor? Do we have his heart? Because God breaks for those who are vulnerable. God breaks for those who are on the margin. You know, one of the questions as I look at the life of Jesus, he lived in close proximity to the poor. So I, I don't have a house that's in a poor neighborhood, okay? So, you know, it's on me to see what I can do. Now, I have a built-in uh, help there. My wife teaches at Hartley Elementary, 33rd and Vine, um, lower socioeconomic. So through her and I go volunteer. I'm a teammate in that school. I could do, but, but what can you do? So, to get in proximity. And what can you do to get those around you in proximity? My kids are 20 and 23. So I'm starting to look back. What did I do well as a parent? What did I not do well? And I, let me tell you the list of things I didn't do well, I, I, I feel. And it seems longer than not. But one of the things I'm glad I did, and I did this particularly with our younger son, we would go down every other Saturday to 18th and F., at first pres and hand out food. And together we would see that. Got him and me together in proximity. What can we do? Because Jesus' heart beat for those people and I think when they're away, we can forget about them. But you know what? The poor are not over there. They're not in Omaha. They're not in Mexico City. Only. 
Okay, they're certainly there, but they're also in our city. They're also among us. What can we do to be in proximity with these people? As we think about this, let's not forget about our Savior. Paul wrote this about Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, our relationship with him. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven and took on the poverty of human flesh that we, separate from God, might know him and might experience the richness of a relationship with him. I'll be honest with you. uh, Many of us, we live attention. We're the wealthiest culture in the history of the world, and and yet there's a standard of living. A house costs, a car costs, and I, I realize that. And so we live attention. How much of our money do we give? And I don't have a specific answer for you. But I will tell you this from my life. I'm, I don't care about things. I, I don't, I'm not a materialist. But I sweat long-term security. Now, I am not supposed to say, my wife has said, I am not supposed to say my age from the state. So I won't say that. But we are getting along. And so we are starting to think about what does retirement look like? And so how much money do we put away and how much do we give away? We wrestle with I wrestle with that. Because God says to plan for retirement. But it also says be generous. Well, what percentage is that, Andy? How much? Well, I, I can answer that for me and my relationship and my wife's relationship with Jesus and our relationship together. But all of us have to wrestle with that and, and we're at different spots. But what God wants to know is that we have his values, we have his priority. We're caring about the poor the way he does. In the third century, a man named Lawrence was a deacon in the church in Rome. And he was asked by a government official, a prefect, knowing that Lawrence was in charge of the church valuables and artifacts he wanted to do an, this prefect wanted to do an inventory of the valuables, of the inventory that he might assess some kind of tax. So this is what Lawrence did. He said, give me a few days. Give me a few days, and I'm going to ba- uh, gather the church valuables. So a few days later, he brings the free prefect, and this is, this is what he brings. A man with two eyeless sockets, a disabled man with a broken knee, a one-legged man, a person with one leg shorter than the other and others with grave infirmities. And this is what he said. Lawrence says to the prefect, their bodies may not be beautiful, but within these vessels of clay, they bear all the treasures of divine grace. Mr. Prefect, you wanted the valuables of the church? You wanted those things that really mattered Here they are, the broken people who have no choice but to depend on the grace of God. The people who might fit the very definition of our first beatitude in the Sermon on Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Yes, we're going to be giving to the poor because they matter to God, but our motivation is matters to God.
Why are we giving to the poor? To please God, not to impress others. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, yeah, we're challenged by this. And part of our temptation is to want to slide those who are poor to the margin. And yet you've called us to value these people and love these people. Uh, most of all, because you love them. You value them. Lord, do we take on those, your values. And Lord, in a culture that just seems want to impress with what we got and what we drive and where we live and the vacation we took and did you see my video? Did you see my thing? Did you, did you, did you? You call us to live for you and to let go of that worldly approval. Lord, that we would follow you and not get sucked up in the, travel, uh, the trap of trying to impress others. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.